Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Glad you could join me this morning as we're diving back into 2 Samuel. Yesterday it was nice to get to the resurrection and finish up the Gospel of Mark, but we're still here in 2 Samuel, and today we come to a, a very troubling passage in 2 Samuel. Uh, here in day 427, we come to 2 Samuel chapter 11. One of those dark chapters in David's life. David's kingship so far has been going very well. He's been very successful. God has given him victory over his enemies. And now he is complacent, not doing what he's supposed to be doing, not where he's called to be, not focusing where he's called to focus, being self-indulgent and entitled. And he falls off the track. He falls into sin that is destructive to himself and to his uh, loyal servant and to his kingdom. And uh, it's a sobering chapter for us. Let's, let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look at 2 Samuel 11. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word that is so instructive to us. Father, we pray that you would help us to learn through this passage today what you would have us to learn, that we might be built up in the faith and follow after Christ more faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also and tomorrow, and I will send you back. 
So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, when, have you, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises and he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over... David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Second Samuel 11 is, is by far one of the most well-known incidents in David's life. Probably the single most well-known incident from his kingship, right? We all know his uh, David fighting against Goliath is probably the most famous story from David's whole life, but this is probably the second best known um, among believers, and it's a very sobering story, and sometimes we can hear it so much, we're like, oh yeah, David slept with Bathsheba, and he arranged to have Uriah killed, and that was a great sin, but he confessed, and God forgave him, but we miss the details, and we miss the, the sobering warning, and the the devastating consequences of this sin. The sobering warning begins in the very opening line of this chapter, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. We're told that specific detail. Now, there were times when battles would happen, like we had uh, in the last chapter, where you know there's a particular city that's giving a particular offense, and you might send out your general and your mighty men but there was a season for war campaigning for long-standing you know, countries who were at war with each other. And you would go out in the spring of the year at a certain time. And that's when the king 
would rally all of the troops and all of the generals and would go out. The kings go out to battle here on a yearly basis in the spring of the year if there's an ongoing conflict. There could be years of peace as there have been throughout Israel's history. But if there's an ongoing conflict, there's a time when that war is fought. <clears throat> and David sends out Joab and his servants and all Israel and they ravage the Ammonites. If all Israel is going out to battle, then David should be leading them because he's the king of all Israel. If it's just the mighty men or if it's just a small part of the army, then Joab can lead them because he's the commander of the army. But David is the king of Israel and that's where he belongs. David remained at Jerusalem. All of this in verse 1 gives us the context. And so it happened. It happened because David was not where he was supposed to be. It happened because David was not doing what he was supposed to do. When we are called by God to do a particular service and duty, we need to be there. So many believers, as an example, will slack off going to church on the Lord's Day. Sundays come and Sundays go and they stay home and maybe they watch a sermon on video or maybe they don't. Maybe they just go out and do some golf or some shopping or maybe they just take a day for themselves when it is the Lord's Day and they are to be in the house of the Lord with, with God's people in the church, worshiping, getting equipped for the week, getting built up, confessing their sin, worshiping God, hearing his word, enjoying fellowships with his people, and they're not doing that. And if that goes on, it's so easy to fall into a complacent state of laziness and self-indulgence and entitlement. And David is, David is in this state. He's enjoying the luxury of his house. And the contrast is made even, even stronger by what Uriah says when David tries to cover up the adultery and brings Uriah back. Uriah sleeps at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And, and David says, Uriah, haven't you come from a long journey? Why didn't you go down to your house? He says that in verse 10. and verse 11, Uriah says, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? Like Uriah doesn't want to do that, but here's David in his house eating and drinking and sleeping with another man's wife. Like how Uriah's uprightness should have been an absolutely stunning wake-up call to David, and he should have immediately confessed his sin, and he should have sought to make things right. But of course he didn't because this is not a sin that you can just confess easily. You can't just, you know, in David's mind, I can't just tell Uriah, oh, you're right, you're so right, you shouldn't sleep with your wife. Uh, I should be out in battle too. I did wrong. I slept with your wife, and I got her pregnant. Like, like, like that's just not something you say to a guy, right? Right? And so David's thinking, what am I going to do? The wheels are turning. How am I going to cover this up? He's, he's scheming. He's plotting because he's gotten himself in deep because of his sin. How often do we get ourselves into a situation where we've told a little white lie? Maybe we haven't done something as heinous as David and sleeping with another man's wife, but we've told a little white lie and then Rather than own up to it, we, we, we feel like we have to cover it up and, or manipulate or do something else. Or we start down a road of some undisciplined behavior, some unguarded behavior, 
And then it's really hard to reel that back in. You know, the old saying, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once something is out, once something is, is a, an established pattern in your life, once something has been done, undoing it is sometimes just about impossible. But David, rather than stopping and sobering up and, and taking the consequences of his actions, he adds sin to it. When, again, why? David's thinking on a human level. We always have to think, why Why would he now arrange for Uriah to be killed? It's not just Uriah. It's a bunch of the servants of David who were all killed when they all go too close to the wall and they got shot by the archers. It's not just Uriah. There's an unknown number of the servants of David who get killed. Why does his sin lead to the death of a number of people? Because he was thinking on a merely human level in a selfish way, and he was thinking, there's no way I can possibly let this be known. Of course, it's going to be known. It's going to be so well known that here we are on the other side of the world, 3,000 years later, talking about this sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will not be kept secret like you think it's going to. It will get exposed, and you will be exposed. And David here has just plotted to try to cover up. Now, it's kind of absurd that he thinks he can cover this up. Because think about this. He sleeps with her. She goes back home. She knows that she's pregnant. She tells him that she's pregnant. How much time has gone by here? We don't know. But women don't know they're pregnant like the next day, right? Uh, she knows that she's pregnant. He sends for Uriah. Uriah comes. Uriah refuses to sleep. He then has Uriah arranged to kill. How long did that take? It had to be multiple days. And then, and then she mourns for her husband, which is probably another week. And then she comes into his house. And then she's his wife. And then she has the baby. To, you know, I think people knew back in Bible times how long it takes to have a baby from the time conception. To birth like people knew that their pattern very well and they could probably figure out hmm that baby was either born way early or the numbers don't add up uh, but David tries to keep it secret because he is he's just in he's just dark he's just in the pit of selfish self-indulgent unfaithful living it's so bad that this is one of the rare times in a narrative that God actually stops and tells us explicitly that this is not pleasing to him. There's lots of other things in Old Testament narrative that's not pleasing to the Lord, that if you just know the Lord and you know his law and you know his standard, you're going to know it's not pleasing to him. But here God doesn't want us to even begin to entertain the idea that, oh, this was okay because it was David and David's a man after God's own heart. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. It was a serious sin. It was a grave sin. And tomorrow we're going to look at how he's confronted and how he is forgiven. But I don't want us to rush into that. I want us to stop here today because I want us to be confronted with the reality that if we're entertaining sin, if we're slacking off from what we should be doing and where we should be spending our time and we're focused where we shouldn't be focused and we're 
playing with sin as though it were somehow a game. We need to beware. And we need to repent. And we need to call out to the Lord. And we need to get back to where we should be. What should David have done? As soon as he inquired about who this woman was, and he was told it's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, he should have thought, oh, Uriah the Hittite, he's one of my faithful soldiers. He's out in the field fighting. That's where I need to be. Why am I looking at a woman? You could maybe make the excuse that, you know, he just so happened to arise from his couch, just so happened to be walking on the roof of the king's house, just so happened to be a woman bathing. And he inquires as to who she is because, you know, legally it's possible that if she was unmarried, David could have legally married her and added her to uh, his, his household. But as soon as he finds out that she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, that should have been the cold water splash in the face, wake up moment, and let me get out to the field and fight with my troops. Let me go in the opposite direction of this temptation. And that's, that's what we need to do. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, and he was tormented again by Satan in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he was betrayed. And in both cases, he determined to not sin, but instead there's this expression in the Gospels that he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem during the latter part of his ministry when he knew it was time to go to the cross. He set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He knew where he needed to be. He knew what he was called to do. And with a absolutely determined focus, he did it. He went to where he was supposed to be. He did what he was supposed to do. And because of his faithfulness and obedience, we have salvation. We don't know what our sin may cost us. And we also don't know who our faithfulness might bless. And so let's follow Jesus and not David. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. It is powerful. It is challenging. Confront us in our foolishness. Turn us aside from our sin. Turn us back to where we should be and what we should be doing. Help us remember who we are and what we're called to be about in this world that we might pursue wholeheartedly, like Jesus, setting our faces toward the calling you have for us with an unwavering resolve. May we do that by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me for 2 Samuel 11 tomorrow, right on to chapter 12. Hope you can be there for that, and uh, have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.